you're interested in running for school board, magistrate, or even state representative, you need Get Elected. From campaign websites and printed materials to platform development and strategy, Get Elected helps down-ballot Republican candidates reach more voters and win more elections on a tight budget. Visit GetElected.org to learn more. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. This is the Republican Committee of Allegheny County coming to you today. And again, we're happy to have you join us. We talk about some of the events of the past week and some of the things to look ahead into the upcoming week. You know, John, first of all, I think all of us uh, can share in the sorrow and express our thoughts and prayers and deepest uh, sympathies to the folks in Uvalde, Texas, for the school shooting that took place this past Tuesday. You know, 19 young children and two teachers lost their lives because of a crazed gunman who went in there and opened fire. We all agree that this is a horrific and uh, terrible act. And what it's done, though, however, is it's once again reignited the debate as to what to do about it. And I think I think there's uh, plenty of time here to talk about what the next step should be and find if there's common ground between the left and the right and how they can move forward. I think I'm a little bit disappointed to see that no sooner than the events take place than folks had looked to politicize it and were looking to make hay with it. And I think we saw some of that. It might have been, uh, yes, it might have been Wednesday when uh, Beto O'Rourke, you know, uh, made a scene and tried to interrupt a press conference, you know, where information was being given from the public safety folks there at Uvalde and uh, tried to make it all about him. Very, very disappointed in that. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I know emotions are running high right now, but I mean, it's absurd when, uh, you know, when the Democrats and the, the liberals try and capitalize on uh, tragedies uh, as such. It's a shame. Well, I think, I think that's part of it. I, you know, I've gone back and forth on Twitter with people, and, you know, it's the same old thing. You know, the left claims we need to do something, but yet the suggestions that I've seen to this point, you know, aren't going to work and would have made no difference. You know, they push universal background checks. Now, you and I know that anytime you walk in to buy a firearm, you undergo a, a background check at that point in time before you're able to obtain the firearm. In this particular case, based upon the limited knowledge we have, you know, this shooter was able to obtain legally the firearms. So that background check legislation wouldn't have actually done anything to stop this shooting. Then you have folks that say, well, we need more gun control. Well, the problem with that is there are over 350 million firearms in this country today. If we can't stop drugs from coming across the border because they're against the law, we can't stop illegal immigrants from crossing the border, and that's against the law, how do we believe that if we banned firearms that we would be able to stop them from coming across the border as well? You know, I have saw folks saying, well, the least you can do is you can ban assault rifles. Well, leaving aside the fact that there is no such thing as an assault rifle or assault weapon, the facts are that there are over 20 million what they term assault rifles in this country today in circulation. And when the FBI statistics bear out that more people are killed annually with hands and feet than with long guns, period, let alone, you know, AR-15s. <clears throat> so the answer isn't necessarily to do that because you can't enforce it or make it happen. 
So, so w- what are the answers? What, what could we possibly do? You know, and this has been kicking around in my mind for a while. So I reached out to one of our state legislators, um, Jason Ortitai, state representative. I believe it's the 36th district here in, uh, in Allegheny County, in Washington County. And I just asked, what are you guys doing at the state level to try to address these things in schools and try to prevent uh, things like that from happening? And he wasn't able to join us for the show, but he did give me a list of things that they're doing. Some of them are. One, they've established something called a safe-to-stay hotline. The number is one 800 And you can also get an app that can be downloaded. It's called Safe to Say Something from your Apple Store or from your Android. You're able to download that. But this program is administered by the Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office. It teaches youth and adults to recognize the warning signs and signals, especially with social media, from individuals who might be a threat to others or themselves, and to say something before it's too late. Now, this program works by someone can submit an anonymous tip, you know, reporting it through the Safe to Say Something system. As Crisis Center reviews, it, it assesses and processes all submissions. The Crisis Center then sends all submissions to school administration and or law enforcement for intervention. If needed, Crisis Center may contact the tipster anonymously through the app. So this is one of the things they're trying to do to say, because many times these shooters tend to be the actual students themselves. So they're trying to say, well, their friends, you know, and the people that they associate with and go to school with most likely would have some idea that something isn't right with somebody or that they're planning something. They've also taken and established a school safety and security committee. The Pennsylvania Public School Code Act 44 of 2018 created the School Safety and Security Committee within the Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency. This committee was tasked with developing the criteria that school entities are to use in performing school safety and security assessments, issuing a survey to school entities to measure school safety and security preparedness, and administering school safety and security grants. There have been recent amendments to this bill, such as Act 18 of 2019, Act 67 of 2019, and Act 30 of 2020. These different acts have included development of a model trauma-informed approach plan, model trainings for threat assessment teams, and set training requirements for school resource officers, school police officers, and school security guards. So there's just a couple things that they're doing right there. They've instituted school safety and security grant program. They established this in 2018, and the General Assembly approved $60 million in grants to schools across the state. Since its inception, the state has awarded nearly $200 million for safety initiatives, including school safety assessments, security equipment, training, and hiring school resource officers. The school code also allows for a portion of the school safety and security funding to be set aside annually to support community violence prevention and reduction grants. So they are doing a number of things at the state level. They've established school safety threat assessment teams. Act 18 of 2019 also requires at least one school safety threat assessment team in all school entities. This threat assessment team is responsible for the assessment of and intervention with students whose behavior may indicate a threat to the safety of the student, other students, school employees, school facilities, the community, or others. These school entities 
may satisfy these requirements by assigning threat assessment responsibilities to an existing team, including their student assistance program teams, crisis response teams, or safe to say something teams. A threat assessment team may also serve one or more schools within the school entity. Again, something else that they're trying to do to have an impact here. They've taken and provided school security personnel training. The public school code requires that all school resources officers, school police officers, and school security guards successfully complete the basic school resource officer course offered by the National Association of School Resource Officers or an equivalent school security personnel course if the instruction is approved by the commission. All school security personnel intending to work in a school setting are required to receive this instruction prior to employment. So, I mean, again, these are, you know, just a few of the things that they're doing at the state level. They've introduced trauma-informed education. They've introduced a youth suicide awareness education. Act 71 of 2014 requires school entities to adopt a youth suicide awareness and prevention policy and provide ongoing professional development and youth suicide awareness and prevention for professional educators in buildings serving students in grades 6 to 12. So, I mean, we struggle because anytime something like this happens, we're all shocked you know, and horrified and we question, what is it? that we could actually do about it. You know, I just wanted to share those few things as efforts that they're making at the state level. And these are bipartisan efforts to try to provide solutions. They introduced a bullying prevention and awareness plan. You know, Act 64 mandates training related to the bullying awareness for employees of school entities to occur every five years. This is a comprehensive bullying prevention includes the following 10 best practices developed by human resources, and services administration personnel. It includes focus on the social environment of the school, assess bullying at your school, garner staff and parents support for bullying prevention, form a group to coordinate the school's bullying prevention activities, train your staff in bullying prevention, establish and enforce school rules and policies related to bullying, increase adult supervision in hotspots where bullying occurs, intervene consistently and appropriately when you come across a bullying situation, and focus some class time on bullying prevention and continue these efforts over time. In addition, they also took and and provided Safe Schools targeted grants. Right now, they offer four types of targeted safety grants. Some are equipment grants of up to $25,000, program grants of up to $20,000, school police officer grants of up to $40,000, and school resource officer grants of up to $60,000. Each of these grants is aimed to assist schools in reducing unnecessary student disciplinary actions and promoting an environment of greater productivity, safety, and learning, and enhancing anti-violence efforts between schools and parents, local governments, law enforcement, and community organizations. Now, it sounds like folks are trying to find different areas within a, you know, a whole spectrum of ways to try to approach this. And Today, they recognize that even that isn't enough. So they're currently working on a number of other things. There's a bill in the House, House Bill 2468, which is student mental health-focused grants to try to provide grants of up to four, a minimum grant of $40,000 to help schools help it screen and look for folks and try to help folks that are suffering from some form of mental illness. There's a school-based mental health services pilot grant, House Bill 2022, a mental health awareness education, House Bill 2023, and a mental health instruction study, Hospital 2024. So folks, while we know or we don't know all the details of what took place in Uvalde, Texas, and there are a lot of questions as of you know the time of taping the show here, uh, you know, news reports were questioning, you know, what were officers outside the school doing 
you know, during the time the shooter was in there. And, you know, we're looking to get a detailed timeline and things like that. And as in anything else, you know, it takes a little bit of time. First reports are often inaccurate and wrong, and we want to get things right. But I think we can all agree that we need to work together and let's start with the things that we can agree on to try to move forward to help prevent these things from ever occurring again, and particularly in our area. So, folks, we'll be right back, but just wanted to touch base and uh, give you an idea on some of the things that are happening here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania related to these situations. Thank you. We'll be right back. Hey, so what's a great way to spread awareness that driving high is illegal everywhere? A catchy song, of course. You can run, but you can't drive high. You can run, but you can't drive high. Friendly reminder, don't drive high. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Elephant in the Room here on 1320 AM, WJAS. Hey, John, moving on to a different subject here, let's talk about the primary election this past May 17th here in Allegheny County. You know, as you know, I'm a councilman at large here, and I also serve on the Board of Elections. So I heard loud and clear from many people who were unhappy with the administration of this election and things that were occurring, and I can tell you that I passed these on to the administration made my voice heard, as well as spoke out publicly you know, in the media and at the council meeting we had last Tuesday evening. <clears throat> Most of the complaints revolved around a lack of Republican ballots that were sent out to the polls. Uh, many of the folks I was receiving complaints from about 10 a.m. on, on election day, you know, telling me that a particular poll was running out of ballots and they needed to do something. They weren't getting the response they wanted to get from the county. I can tell you that that continued throughout the day. And when I went to vote myself, I voted in North Fayette. I went to the polls a little bit before two o'clock. At that time, they were already out of Republican ballots and I had a vote on the ADA machine, the ES&S express vote machine. Provides a computerized screen and it actually marks the ballot for you. However, it's more time consuming than being able to look at a ballot, mark it with a pen, and then feed it through the scanner. So after I voted, I was talking to the folks, the election workers there. They were telling me that they were having difficulty getting information from the county on when someone was going to come out there and arrive. So I called the county myself and was unable to get information as to when a courier would, would, would arrive. They said that they had all the drivers were out, the lead men were all sprinkled throughout the county, that they had done had an all-hands-on-a-deck approach they had engaged the sheriff's department to take and drive and, and take ballots out, <clears throat> but they couldn't give me any definitive information as to when someone could get there. I asked them at that time if I could go in and pick up the ballots, and they said yes, you know, <clears throat> because they're looking for all the help they could get. So I went in and picked up ballots myself and actually delivered them to five precincts on election day to try to ensure that Republicans had the opportunity to vote. When I went back into the warehouse that evening, you know, I was told and made aware that it, while I heard uh, specifically about a lack of Republican ballots being at the polls, I was informed that it wasn't just Republican ballots that, it, that had been shorted, but they were running out of Democratic ballots in some areas as well. My counterpart 
on the Democratic side said that she had been hearing, you know, the same type of complaints, you know, all day long as well. And as I said, the Lexington's personnel at the warehouse indicated to me that they had had to take and fulfill a ballot request at a number of polling places with Democrat ballots. <clears throat> so that's where we left off with that. I tried to investigate and ask questions, and here's what I found out, is that the director of elections had taken and gone back and looked at the last three primary elections, looked at the average turnout, had gone back and said, what's our peak historical turnout? And typically in a primary election, typical turnout is about 25 to 27, 28%. So this past election, we had turnout in excess of 36%. And that was because of many of the contested races. But he had taken that average turnout, bumped it up 5%, and that's how many ballots he ordered. Well, unbeknownst to him, or it, and it also never reached the county executive's office, either the chief of staff or county manager, but someone felt that there was too much waste that was taking place with ballots that were being shredded after an election because they came back. So they made the unilateral decision to cut those back and reduce the number that went out to the polls themselves. <clears throat> this has not made the county executive happy because he recognizes that it just gives folks who are concerned about our elections and our electoral process something else to point to. And uh, I can tell you, having spoke with the county manager, he assured me that this will never, ever, ever, and those are his words, happen again as long as he's a county manager. They've assured me that they are going to overprint you know, for the November election. So folks do not need to worry about this happening in November. However, <clears throat> how many times do you hear folks on the left say, if just one person is disenfranchised, it's too many? Well, I agree with that. And I can tell you that there were folks that went to vote on election day this past Tuesday who were disenfranchised because they did not get to vote because they were A, either turned away because they were out of Republican ballots, or B, they didn't have the ability to wait in the lines that formed to use the ADA machines, and C, some folks were turned away because some of the poll workers didn't recognize and immediately direct people to the ADA machines and just said, we're out of ballots. <clears throat> this is unacceptable. It cannot happen. It should not have happened. And, you know, when you look at things like the recount race, the race between uh, Mehmet Oz and David McCormick here for U.S. Senate, you start to realize how important every single vote is. And yet we have a situation where because of what took place here, that people were turned away from the polls. Absolutely unacceptable. <clears throat> Folks, if you were turned away from the polls, if you went to vote and you were unable to vote, please Reach out to us at the website at Allegheny.gop and submit your information via the website or call our office at 412-458-0068 and give the answering receptionist the information regarding your contact information and your story so that I can provide these to the Department of Elections as far as people who did not get to vote because of their error. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job 
not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters. Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Folks, welcome back again to The Elephant in the Room, the Republican Committee of Allegheny County's new radio show here on 1320 AM WJAS. Hey, John, while we're talking about elections, you know, I want to give folks a, sort of an update here on what's taking place in the recount effort here in the U.S. Senate race between Mehmet Oz and David McCormick. Right now, there's a very slim lead that separates Oz from McCormick. It's approximately 902 votes, and that's statewide. You know, in the election, Oz received 419,365 votes, and McCormick received 418,463, the state said. Now, you know, there are still a decent chunk of Republican ballots that remain to be counted. State election officials said there are around 6,000 mail-in and absentee ballots left to be counted statewide, with as many as 3,000 being military and civilian overseas ballots, which were only due at 5 p.m. this past Tuesday. There are another 4,000 provisional ballots, and these are ballots that were cast in person at polling places that county election boards are continuing to adjudicate across the state. The state does not know how many of the 10,000 remaining ballots were cast by Republicans and won't know until counties tabulate the votes, a state spokesman said. Now, undoubtedly, many of these ballots will be Democratic and not applicable to this case, but at this point, they don't know. There's also another 860 Republican ballots that are missing handwritten dates on their outer envelopes. These are the subject of pending litigation. The state has issued guidance advising counties to count them, but to keep them separated while the courts consider legal challenges. You know, Mr. McCormick is asking both the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and Commonwealth Court to step in and compel all 67 counties to count these ballots because they were submitted by voters without handwritten dates, but were otherwise verified to have been cast on time. John, we lived this. Mm-hmm. Back in the 2020 election, you know, back then we had Nicole Ziccarelli who was running for Pennsylvania State Senate in the 45th Senatorial District against uh, Jim Brewster. When all normal ballots had been cast, Nicole was ahead. But Allegheny County made the decision to count 311 ballots in that race, you know, that lacked a handwritten signature, but that had otherwise been received on time. And you know that because what happens is when the mail comes in, they run these through a big machine called the Blue Crest machine that takes dates and timestamps them. So you know that they're received on time, but they don't follow the law, which says thou shalt sign and date. Okay. So when this occurred, I voted against this, against counting them, you know, in the Board of Elections because I felt that the law said one thing. The Democrats challenged it. They went to Allegheny County Common Police Court, where Common Police Court said, yes, they can count. It was then appealed to the Commonwealth Court, which said, no, they can't count. It was then appealed to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, which said, yes, they will be counted in this race. And then the Ziccarelli campaign appealed it to federal court. And Judge Ron John uh, decided not to intervene and to take and change the ruling of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. <clears throat> so as that stood, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's ruling was, and it was there was 3-3, was and there was an opinion written by David Wecht, Supreme Court Justice, who said he wrote an opinion for both the majority and the minority. He said... He agreed that the legislature definitively meant that you have to sign those physically. But he said, but in this case, he was going to allow those these other ones to count 
because maybe people didn't understand. But in the future, he would rule against them. So that's what they did. They ruled against them in the Lehigh Valley case. But the Lehigh Valley case, that was challenged in federal court, in a federal appeals court, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, came back and ruled that, hey, if the voter's an eligible voter, meaning they're registered, they're registered to vote in that precinct, they sign their name, they return their ballot, they're eligible in all other ways, then they said it violates the Federal Civil Rights Act to take and disqualify the ballot on what they view as minor technicalities. People have asked me, what do I think? In this particular case, I would rather see this adjudicated right now so that I know what counts and what doesn't count than to have this occur in November between a Republican and a Democrat in a contentious race, okay? Here we have two Republicans that are vying for this nomination. And we're going to get a great candidate either way, regardless of who wins, you know, but I would rather the court come down with a definitive ruling so that we know what counts and what doesn't before we go to November because the stakes are going to be that much higher. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, for the most part, I do agree. Uh, I do want to point out, we did have a special election uh, about a few weeks ago, and I had inadvertently sent my mail-in ballot without dating it. And I was really shocked that the county actually mailed me back my ballot here, notifying me that I needed to sign that. I was really surprised that they did the due diligence to do that here. I guess that didn't happen because in our recent election here on um, May 17th, I guess they didn't do those with those ballots here, but I was surprised that the county actually takes that, that step to do that. They do. You know, when, when ballots are received with sufficient time, yeah, you know, they'll go ahead and they, they'll try to take and send those back to the voter because they want every vote sure. to be able to be be cast. But you know, if they don't have the time, meaning for you to receive it in the mail, be able to turn around and get it back, then they'll take and handle it. But no, it is an extra step that they do do. And, you know, I've, uh, I've come around a little bit on this. I mean, I think we need to follow the law again. Just another reason why Act 77 needs to be repealed, you know, or replaced. Folks, we're going to take another break here. And again, you're listening to The Elephant in the Room on 1320 AM WJAS. Republican committees, large and small, trust get elected to help them reach more voters, find more volunteers, and raise more money. All to get more conservative candidates elected to important down-ballot positions. And all for less than most of us pay for cable. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. You know, John, here we are here. Uh, Memorial Day weekend 2022, you know, and uh, this is a holiday where we here in the United States, we mourn the U.S. military personnel who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. Now, we currently, we observe this on the last Monday in May, but it was formally observed in, on May 30th until uh, 1970 when Congress passed the law, uh, you know, putting it on the first, the last Monday, excuse me, last Monday in May making it a three-day weekend. Now, you know, when I look and you talk about service, I mean, I just, I'm thinking of some of the people that we have who served in the service who are serving us today in the uh, you know, Pennsylvania General Assembly and in the Pennsylvania State Senate. I know, for example, and, and I may miss some folks here, but I know, for example, we have, uh, you know, Doug Mastriano, you know, our Republican nominee for governor, combat veteran, you know, in the Army, we have Devlin Robinson, you know, a uh, Marine Corps combat veteran, served three combat tours, you know, two in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, serving in the state Senate. He's a state senator in the 37th state senatorial district. 
we have Ryan Ahmed, state senator from out in Lancaster. You know, Ryan is an Army combat veteran. We in the House, you know, I'm aware of a number of folks. We have uh, locally, we have Natalie Mihalik, who is a Navy veteran. We have uh, Rob McCurry, who's a West Point Army officer uh, and Army veteran. We have Tim O'Neill in Washington County, an Army combat veteran. In the House, I know uh, Greg Rothman, who's now currently running for the state Senate, is a Marine Corps veteran. Colonel Frank Ryan, House member here, Marine Corps veteran. So there's a lot of folks who have taken their vow of service and served this country previously, who have now taken it to the next level, have run for elected office to try to continue in serving this country. And I think, uh, you know, I wanted to just recognize those few folks, you know, as we prepare here for Memorial Day. Yeah, I'd also like to add, Sam, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures, uh, they say we have about four senators and 23 House members that serve in our state legislature legislature uh, in Harrisburg that are veterans. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, that makes sense because you know, Pennsylvania has one of the highest concentrations of veterans in the country. You know, in Allegheny County, about approximately 85,000 of our county's residents are veterans. You know, and uh, we take seriously you know, the vow of service, and uh, you know, I think it's appropriate that we honor, you know, members of our service armed forces who've lost their lives. You're here on this Memorial Day weekend. Now, you know, do you know how Memorial Day came about? I do not. I'm expecting to find out. <laughs> it's a loaded question. See, I am a good lawyer because I'm not going <laughs> to ask you a question that I don't know the answer to, right? <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many times that happens. But yeah, back in um, 1868, General John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic called for a decoration day, which was widely celebrated. Now, this was to recognize, you know, the men and women who passed away or died were killed in the Civil War. So he came up with that idea, and that became very, very popular. By 1890, every northern state had adopted it as a holiday. Then when the World War started, they turned it into a generalized day of remembrance instead of just for the Civil War. And it was in 1971 that Congress standardized the holiday as Memorial Day and changed its observance to the last Monday in May. Now, there are two other days that we celebrate during the year for those who have served or are serving in the U.S. military. You know, one is Armed Forces Day, which is earlier in May, was last week. That's an unofficial U.S. holiday for honoring those currently serving in the armed forces. And Veterans Day, which is on November 11th, and that honors those who have served in the United States armed forces. You know, there's always a lot of confusion around this with folks who haven't served, wondering, well, whom do I thank, thank, you know, what's involved here? To make it clear, Memorial Day is for those who have passed away, these veterans who have passed away in service to this country, and Veterans Day is to honor those who have served in the United States Armed Services. So hopefully, you know, we're contributing something here, you know, to the public and letting them know exactly, you know, what these days are for and the uh, the purpose behind them. John, do you have any big plans for this weekend? 
Uh, I wouldn't say big plans. Uh, I was hoping to go to get get to the beach uh, this weekend. <laughs> That's about it. What about you, Sam? Well, you know, there are a number of Memorial Day celebrations around the area that we'll be attending. On Monday, we'll be uh, there's a parade that the Coriopolis VFW is putting on down in Coriopolis. I and a number of other uh, legislators, you know, will be there in the parade. Uh, you know, again, it's just a opportunity once again to remember and honor, you know, those those who have fallen. But you mentioned talking about, you know, you wanted to go to the beach. You know, one of the things that many businesses uh, moved to celebrate here Memorial Day because they viewed it as the opening of the summer season, you know. So that's where, where business came about. And that's where you see a lot of the sales and things like that. <clears throat> In many ways, it is a kickoff to the summer. And, you know, and I as a Marine Corps veteran and all the other veterans that I know, they want people to go out and enjoy themselves and to have a good time, you know, and to live their lives, you know, this weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, because this is what folks fought for, you know, and died for. So while you're enjoying your cookouts, your beach trips, your parties, whatever it may be, if it's a sale, you know, you're <laughs> going to buy something, great. But just please keep in the back of your mind that Memorial Day is to honor and remembrance of the men and women who have died in service to this country. Thank you. We'll be right back. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back, folks, to The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. Hey, John, one of the other things I think that uh, we might want to touch on here is something that I've been getting a lot of calls from and from the media wanting to know, where is the Republican Party in Pennsylvania go from here? Because there's a lot of things. They look at the results of the election, you know, with the nomination of uh, Senator Doug Mastriano as the nominee for governor, and then the lack of a nominee as of today, you know, uh, 10 days after, or more than 10 days after the election here, primary election of May 17th for our Senate candidate. Uh, And so, you know, I guess as we start to look at this, I was interviewed by the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette who wanted to know I had written a op-ed prior to the election where I was urging Republicans to nominate someone other than Senator Mastriano. And they wanted to know, you know, what my thoughts were and, and on that. And I said, look, I stood behind the comments that I made and the things that I said because they were all based upon data. It was polling and data that we had at the time that indicated that he was not the best candidate to put forth with our swing voters, folks that we're going to need to win the election in November. And But I also explained that while that may have been the case at then, that a poll is only a brief glimpse of a snapshot in time and that the election was five and a half months away, there's a lot of things that could change. Some of which I talked about was look at where we are with inflation. 
Inflation is running at least 8%. That means regardless of the raise that you get, if you get a raise, you're losing money in your paycheck. It's making harder for you and your family to make ends meet. We have record gas prices. As we head off into Memorial Day weekend right now, again, we've set record gas prices. Prices approaching $4.70 a gallon here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Now, you know, based upon polls, people are still going to go on vacation. They're still going to hit the road. They're still going to go probably more than 50 miles away from their homes. But these are these increasing costs are going to take and have a say, and I believe are going to play a role in what happens at the polls in November. I can tell you that I saw information where AAA and J.P. Morgan have estimated that gas prices are going to hit $6 a gallon here in August. You know, I related to the Post-Gazette that I thought that that was going to result in a lot of angry people. And when people are angry, they're looking to make a change so that anything could happen. So, you know, those things combined with others, such as the shortage of baby formula we have. You know, where, whoever thought and that here in the United States of America, the greatest country to ever grace the face of this earth, that we would be unable to feed our infants. Now we have a shortage. We can't provide these formulas. There's a lot of things that folks are unhappy with. Recent polls show that over 70% of the public believe this country is heading in the, right, the wrong direction. And I believe that they're going to take and make a change. So and when I look at this and I weigh the events that are taking place, the data that we see from an economic perspective, I think GDP growth for the first quarter was just downgraded to negative 1.5%. I wouldn't be surprised if we're headed into a recession. You know, right now, I think there are a lot of folks that are going to be going to the polls looking for a big change in direction this November. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the phrase people vote with their wallets is, uh, you know, is going to happen in November here. Um, we have a lot to be optimistic about as far as our candidates go and, and what uh, we expect the results will be. Um, you know, you mentioned like Doug Mastriano and, and uh, you know, I guess the question that we all have right now, is he electable in November? Um, I'm starting to become a little more optimistic about his chances. Um, he has a great running mate in, in uh, Allegheny County's own, Carrie Del Rosso. And, uh, you know, as the campaign proceeds, um, you know, I think uh, I think the polls will probably uh, narrow. narrow. Yeah, I, and I, I'm, listen, I'm very optimistic as well. You know, I've talked to folks who have spoken to the senator, and he's indicated that he wants to run with the party. You met with, uh, he wants- yeah, I'm sorry, Kim Ward. Oh, sorry. The other, yeah, he met with Kim Ward, the Senate majority mm-hmm. uh, whip the other day. He wants to run with a party. He he's, uh, wants to be part of the team, you know, and, and we're looking to support him and get behind him here in efforts to try to, to elect him because, you know, listen, Josh Shapiro is unacceptable. I mean, he has taken and abused the office of attorney general and politicized, you know, the entire thing. And, uh, I mean, from every step of the way since he's been in office, he has looked to take advantage of it from a political perspective instead of protecting the people of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. If you look at things such as 
you know, he talks about his investigation into the Catholic Church. All he did was rehash decades-old allegations against dead, you know, Catholic priests, right? There was a settlement that his de- his department, his office was working on with an energy transfer company, and they had agreed to a settlement in excess of $26 million. This money would have been distributed to the people uh, that, that were affected. He, what they call Bigfooted it, came in, stopped the settlement from taking place, held a news conference and just talked about all the things he was going to do. And then what happened was um, the company ended up declaring bankruptcy. And the people, instead of getting $26 million to be able to split amongst themselves, ended up with five. Okay. You know, uh, I could go on and on. You know, he had a, a not, came out and big press conference, announced a bust, you know, these drug dealers. But then his office fumbled it and bungled it. And 43 of them ended up getting released and let go. You had uh, the opioid settlement. He went out and bragged about he negotiated a billion-dollar opioid settlement. But you had district attorneys such as Allegheny County, Steve Zapala, and others across the state who said they weren't going to join in because they don't feel they didn't feel that it came anywhere near to addressing the costs that the counties had suffered or had dealt with in the opioid and fentanyl epidemic. <clears throat> so he has a lot of problems there. And uh, the one thing he does have a, also has a lot of is money. So we're going to have to see what happens with that. You know, last I checked, he was sitting on a war chest in excess of $16 million cash on hand. That gives him a definitive advantage. However, Pennsylvania is a key state. And I believe if uh, Senator Mastriano comes out and is able to wage a good campaign here, I think the polls will be close enough that money will flood in to help him get his message out and uh, keep this thing competitive. You have any thoughts on that, John? Uh, no, but I share with I share your optimism uh, about this campaign season. Um, I think the more that people get to know Doug Mastriano and he becomes more of a household name here, uh, you'll see uh, his poll numbers, uh, you know, tighten up. I mean, the fact he got like 45% of Republican votes uh, is pretty incredible in a, in a field of nine candidates uh, is, is pretty remarkable in my opinion. No, absolutely. He, he, he won a clear plurality of the votes that were out there, and you can't argue with that. <clears throat> so he's the nominee going forward, and we'll see what happens. You know, I look forward to uh, – to sitting down and talking to him at some point in the future and uh, figuring out uh, how we can be of assistance here in Allegheny County, you know, and help him as he moves forward. You know, something that's uh, also a little bit, uh, I don't say funny because it's not humorous, but, you know, it, it's odd, I guess, is you have a lot of folks out there in the media and in critics that will attack him because they, they focused on the 2020 election and they're ready to move on. Well, look, a lot of us are ready to move on because we're focused on the future. But you can't dispute that many of the people within this Commonwealth are concerned about the integrity of our elections and want to know what happened, when, how, and why. And I think until we're able to satisfactorily answer some of those questions, we're not going to be able to get those people to be able to move on and focus on the future. And so I don't see that as the huge negative that some of these other folks do. I mean, you, you can look back to try to learn from something 
you know, without taking your eye off the ball for the future and knowing what we need to do in order to make any changes to Act 77 or to address some of the shortfalls we've seen in regards to securing our elections. Can't do any of this without a Republican governor because Josh Shapiro has come out and said he's not going to take and sign off on any of these things. So, you know, folks had asked me, they said, hey, are you going to be able to unite the Republican Party? And I said, I don't have to do that. Senator Mastriano doesn't have to do that. I said, because Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing that all for us. Okay. And again, if you see record inflation, record gas prices, supply chain shortages, things of that nature, what's going on at the southern border is unbelievable. You know, I, let me take go touch on that for just a second. You know, I have these folks fighting with me on Twitter and arguing with me, folks on the left, uh, you know, about guns. Okay, and the amount of people that these that, that are killed in these mass shootings, but yet they say nothing about the open southern border. We lost 105,000 Americans last year to opioid and fentanyl overdoses throughout this country. 105,000. Are, are they not important? You know, as I said, you can measure the number of people killed by long guns in this country in, in, in the hundreds, in the hundreds total. You know, more people are killed in Chicago on an annual basis than are killed in these mass shootings all year long in the rest of the country, okay? Again, this the, these are the things, I think, that jump out at us and prevent us from being able to have productive conversations on how to move forward in this country, you know, and try to find solutions to some of these problems. But all of that, you know, being said, these are, again, more and more reasons why I believe you'll see the Republican Party united and ready to move forward here into November. And I anticipate a big red wave come this November. Thoughts? Speechless? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a little speechless. I mean, I think I think we've, you know, pretty much touched on this uh, subject quite a bit. So we um, sort of beat that. I think like, we beat like this carpet yeah. or something. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think we have. Um, so where do we go from here? You know, as we prepare for our next shows, I think I guess a couple things are, you know, one, uh, we want to get more uh, as we start to move forward into the summer and start to head toward you know, the fall. We want to get more of our candidates on where they can speak to the audience directly about who they are, why they're running, their policy platforms, the things they would want to put in place, and they explain to the public how they would be able to actually help their families. Because I believe when people go to the polls and vote, and they're making a positive choice. They believe when they pull that lever for somebody that that person, that voting for that person, is going to take and, you know, provide some sort of benefit to them, you know, their children, their grandchildren, or their family. But they're making a positive choice. And we want to give candidates uh, the opportunity and the platform to be able to speak in more than just a soundbite, you know, to the public and giving them this audit. So I look forward to having those folks on to sort of lay out, you know, their vision of where we go. And then also, I want to reach out to our sponsors and, 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 and let them know that, hey, we would love, 
you know, to have their support and with, with advertising on our show to try to reach, you know, our listeners. Uh, and, and we will take and help advocate for their and their for their services and their products you know, as we move forward. You know, we appreciate and we support the people that support us. Yeah, and I would also like to add our great producer, Daryl, mentioned that we should have a call to action on our show. And and to our listeners, we're still in you know developing the show here. But if anybody has, if anybody would like to hear a special guest on our show, please leave a comment on our, our Facebook or our webpage, our website, and you know, we'll do our best to try and uh, have them on the show. And that's a, that's a great point. <clears throat> call to action. Let me issue a call to action right now. Folks, if you believe this country is headed in the wrong direction, if you believe that you're ready to step up and do something, then reach out to us at our website at www.allegheny.gop. Send us your contact information. Our staff will get in touch with you, and we'll find a way or give you an opportunity that you can play a role in taking and in, in saving this country, whether it can be in helping us register more Republicans to vote, whether it is helping get more Republicans or more uh, folks out to vote, you know, all these things are beneficial. All these things can lend or lead to a positive, uh, positive thing happening here in November. And we would appreciate your help. So, Hey, that's a call to action, John. We listened to Daryl. How about that? This is a great producer. I'm telling you, isn't he? <laughs> he, he makes this show sound great. Yeah. He deserves a lot more credit than, uh, we, we give them. Yes. Yes, he does. Daryl. Hey, yo, over there. Hey, thanks, Daryl. We really appreciate it. Not a problem, Sam. Not a problem <laughs> at all. Folks, we appreciate you joining in. Look forward to, to, to talking to you again next Saturday, 1 p.m. on WJAS 1320 a.m. And remember, we're signing off here from the elephant in the room. Look forward to talking to you next week. Happy Thank Memorial you. Day. Happy Memorial Day weekend.